Welcome everyone to Bridging the Gap podcast. I'm Andrea Marciano. And I'm Anthony Avila. Welcome to today's podcast where we continue to talk about uh, nutrition, lifestyle, medicine, food insecurity. And we want to welcome Scott Tyson to talk to us about 180 Degree Farm. In my first two years at the University of Florida, I was very fortunate to participate in an organization called Florida Alternative Breaks. Through this organization, I was able to take trips during spring break and they provide opportunities for other academic breaks, but I was able to take these trips and go to do uh, volunteering in other parts of Florida or in neighboring regions around Florida and really just focus on social issues. So the, I, I would go to 180 degree farms and learn about sustainable agriculture. So I'm very thankful for the relationship I've created with Mr. Tyson and his family. And I'm really excited for this podcast. I would love to start off by just asking, you know, like about the history of the farm and the connections you guys have made with the community and organizations such as FAB and how I met you and things like that. Yeah, so the history of the farm is, um, you know, it starts back with uh, uh, our son, Mason. Um, you know, the seed was planted shortly after uh, his diagnosis uh, of neuroblastoma, stage four, which is a form of cancer that forms usually from the adrenal gland. Um, his his uh, staging um, is usually, at, at a stage four, is usually a death sentence for a child. I think it's somewhere in the high 90s of death rate uh, for stage four. And so we learned through his cancer that treating, treating disease with nutrition can only help. Now, we also learned that feeding organic trumps conventional. And that you're eliminating the, the the risk of pesticide exposure, herbicide exposure, fungicide exposure, et cetera. But you also get the uh, the higher nutrient uh, density from organic. And you know, organic is certainly not a cure, but certainly a, a way to give your body the ammunition, fight the cancer, and to fight uh, to to be able to heal. And without nutrition, if you're living a fast food life, and that's what got you into this. If you, you know, and in our case, we were, you know, doing, we were making a lot of money. We had both that corporate job. Our kids went to private school. And, um, you know, we thought that good family time was going out to eat four nights a week because we had more time to spend with our kids. We didn't have to cook and be pulled away from our children. We didn't have to clean up. We were able to focus solely on the, the you know, spending time with our kids while someone else, we paid someone else to feed us essentially, right? And then after his illness, and um, uh, we started seeing this remarkable change, we elected not to go through chemotherapy and try to go the route of changing his diet and seeing what we could do because of the, the side effects of the chemotherapy was just absolutely devastating for a child. And once we saw you know, how successful changing his diet was, with things like, um, you know, uh, heavy raw diet, heavy veggie diet, juicing, things like cod liver oil that have, you know, been out of public mindset for many, many years, um, probably a couple of generations, you know, finding out about the power of turmeric and ginger, and being able to just harness all those nutrients to, to help his body, you know, just loading the, his ammunition gun to be able to fight this cancer. 
And as this cancer went away, which took about a, you know, about a year, you know, we kind of felt led to do something more. You know, we just felt like we just, we were given the gift of our child's life again. And it's really hard to look at that and say, okay, we can go back to normal, right? That was, that was something where uh, when you're in cancer, the, you know, we were at Scottish Rite and the Affleck Cancer Center or Affleck Cancer area, you know, where the the floors, where they have all the children have cancer. And it was just devastating to see these parents that losing children and the hopelessness and the destruction of family and it was uh, gut-wrenching to say the least. And so we felt like we could share what we've learned and do what we could. And we knew that it wasn't going to be huge at first, but you know, if you don't try, you can't have an impact. You want to see the change, you got to be the change. And so my wife decided that she was going to start this farm and leave her job. And, you know, uh, we decided to go ahead and homeschool the kids and they could participate in farming chores in the morning and really get more exposure to the business side of this and, and so forth as they kind of grew into it. And that's kind of how that the nonprofit started. And it was just, you know, over several years, we opened it up in 2009. So Mace was diagnosed 2006, about a year or two of planning and trying to figure out what all this means. And then the farm opens up and I think the first year we opened a farm, we had five CSA customers and we had, I think we gave out like 500 pounds of food total. It was not much, but we really felt like this was something that the more we got out in the community, the more we were going to discover how much of a need there was for clean organic food. And we've worked with thousands and thousands of people in our community and throughout the country, really, because of uh, our connection with CTCA. And... Um, and CTCA is the Cancer Treatments of America. They bring in, you know, people from all over the world. Kind of buzzed out for a second. The, we're able to really get into the to helping those people in the in the hospital as well as the local community the people in our community. So it's just been it's been a huge relief to be able to know that Mason's testimony his his cancer kind of led to something bigger. You know, today Mason is 17, so he's what is that 11 almost 12 years away from his diagnosis. He was diagnosed in, on September 18th, which is his birthday, 2006, which he was just turned four years old. So pretty remarkable. You know, we've just been pushing through ever since. Farming is hard work. And there are many times where you're like, I just don't know if we can do this again. I mean, year after year, you know, you have the years like last year where it was just flooding, flooding, flooding all the time. And just you just see crops in the ground is destroyed. But it's that one person that you see that you've made a difference in their life that's doing better or the child and these parents were desperate that's doing better. And you think that's enough for me to want to push over a wall, you know, and just keep moving. And I know that charges my wife up and my, my two boys for sure. Yeah, it's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you, you mentioned the educational aspects and how you really hope that bringing your kids into a more of a, of a position where they're contributing a lot more to the farm, how they're going to learn more about the business aspect. So could you share how you incorporate volunteers, especially as I did from for alternative breaks during spring break and how you bring them in and, and educate them about the entire process and how that has really shaped the way the farm works? Yeah. So, you know, interestingly enough, we were, we were kind of this is a very niche nonprofit, right? I mean, you just don't see many of these nonprofits that uh, they grow food to, to help people who are financially unable to make lifestyle changes in finding cancer. So uh, for us, we got our first contact with an alternative breaks program in 2010. 2000, yeah, 2010, it was um, uh, Appalachian State University. 
And uh, at first, you know, they said, eh, the, you know, we're college kids, we want to come out for spring break. And, you know, you're thinking, okay, college kids are going to want to come and party by the lake and it's going to be a mess and the liability. Oh my gosh. Right. And so all these things run through your head, you know, thinking, you know, is this something that we should get into? Right. And, you know, we kind of talked through some of this with our, with the uh, site leader at the time who was organizing the trip. And she said, no, 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 this is not like, you know, uh, the kids who would go down to Fort Lauderdale and party. Right. I mean, these are very responsible students that have a heart for change, a heart for serving, right? I said, okay, well, we'll give it a shot and see how it works out. Well, they came, they stayed for a whole week, and the relationship that we, because our, our mindset is if, if someone's coming to work on our farm, we're not going to just say, hey, go do this and go do that. You know, we're going to try to be involved in the groups. Now, we can't work with every group at the same time, but we try to be involved with all the groups and get to know these, these students and really understand, you know, why they want to come to the farm. What are they looking to learn and what questions are they wanting to ask in their development, right? And so this was new to us. So we we're kind of feeling our way around it, you know, just had just an incredible experience with these, these, this group. I mean, absolutely incredible. And um, I guess they had wrote about us in the Breakaway magazine or something like that. And so the next year we had uh, University of Florida and uh, several other groups contact us. And so we, that was our first year with the University of Florida. I think it was 2011. So it was a year after. And uh, we've been doing University of Florida ever since. What a, what a just incredible experience just, just with your group alone. We also do, you know, Central Michigan, which is a regular too. They come every year, sometimes twice a year. You know, we've had uh, a group out of uh, University of California, San Diego fly out one year. So we've had some really interesting students that have come in from all over the country. And it's been tremendous. One year we did University of Florida and Michigan State at the same time, which I don't know if we have the the stamina to do that again. That was that was uh, great of an experience as it was. It was also very challenging. Because we had, um, and I think it was the year uh, after, before you came that we did that. Because you came twice, right? But that really developed this expectation for us that, okay, uh, we know we're going to get these kids here every year. And this is an opportunity for us to pour into these, these, these students as they come and be able to, you know, really just get to know them invest in them, understand what they're, the reason they, they want to come and, and the questions they want answered and develop relationships with them. That's why we do the, the family night on thir- usually on Thursdays. This is a, I mean, it's just a great experience all the way around for us. We get a ton done. Um, it's a service uh, program that is without a doubt the best thing that happens for us. We get so much accomplished during that time and allows us to, to, to really focus on the food part. Once you guys leave, the food is is the goal and not all these other things, other projects that are kind of weighing us down. So it's, it's just been tremendous. But, you know, that kind of led us into, you know, speaking at high schools and auditoriums where uh, we've had programs with teachers where if I come and speak, then they give extra credit to students to come out and volunteer on the farm and they got to do it within a certain time period in spring. And so we get a lot of the students who, you know, these are really bright kids too. These are AP students. They come out, they they volunteer on the farm and they work for four hours, right, on a Saturday. And so, you know, all those things have just been a huge contribution to the farm. Now this year, we're missing all that, right? And so those are the things that have been tough for us. A, um, just the, the, the connections we have, right? 
we keep up with so many students, even from way back in 2010-11, right? A lot of them are married and have kids now and have corporate jobs or whatever, attorneys. And, you know, it, it just amazes me to see, wow, we've been doing this this long now where, you know, 11 years in, you know, 10, 11 years in, and we're seeing, you know, uh, all these students who are now, you know, with families and careers and children. And I mean, it's just amazing. You know, the, the community also, we have volunteer programs with them. And, you know, that's been kind of shut down for, for right now. We're going to hopefully pick that back up pretty soon. But, uh, you know, all those things have had a real huge impact on us over the years. But nothing greater than the Alternative Breaks program. I mean, without a doubt, the biggest program for, you know, that, that helps our community, hands down. One question that I have for you is, um, what challenges did you have uh, starting a farm, continuing the farm? Um, well, starting a farm, um, the personally, our, our, our challenge was, when we, we started that farm, I think we would have probably been better served to mine the farm of the white clay that we had there and sell it to, to artists, sculpturists. It was horrible. For us, the, the site was, you know, we'd already we owned that land for a while, but it wasn't the ideal place for starting a farm. And so the investment in compost and, you know, we, we didn't have enough compost that we could generate on our own. We had to bring in tons and tons of compost to, uh, to make the land even somewhat viable. And so uh, that was a huge challenge. The other thing was, you know, within our church and within the community, when we first started this, a lot of people didn't get it. And I think the one thing that we, uh, kind of struggle with because Nicole and I both are we're not we're not salespeople. So starting a nonprofit for us, you almost have to have some of that sell person in you to to really convey your message in a way that people want to invest in it and and invest in a way that's a contribution to further your vision of helping people. Right? It's a longer struggle if you don't have that chip, and we don't. So our 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 chip, both of us have been in the corporate world for a long time, um, was you know roll up your sleeves and get stuff done and, um, and work really hard to, to produce a, you know, an amazing product. I mean, I'm a self-confessed nerd. I'll be the first one to tell you. I mean, I, I read, 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 read about, you know, soil and plant health and animal health. And those things are important to me, nutrition. Right. And, uh, but you know, when it comes to getting out there in front of people and trying to sell my vision, it's a little more of a struggle for me. It's not that I can't articulate what I want to do, but there are people that can just walk into a room. People are ready to write a check for whatever they, you know, whatever their heart desires. And for us, it's it's a lot more of a struggle. And so, starting out the nonprofit, it was the beginning was just getting the land viable to plant, and then conveying our vision and you know knowing what was in our heart about wanting to have a community and get it out there so we can get support. Because the one thing that most people don't understand about a nonprofit is a nonprofit has to make a profit to be able to turn that money back into the nonprofit to be able to give. I mean, things like soil amendments, seed, fencing, all these different things have to, the money's got to come from somewhere, right? And so that's where like our Saturdays are, are a sales day for us. So that's where we generate our revenue to pour back into the nonprofit. Being that we're 100% volunteer, None of that money is is paying salaries. It's all going back to the nonprofit to to generate more and more so we can feed more people. But you know that that whole you know having that sales chip is something that I really wish I had more of. 
you know, and I wish my wife had more of, and we, we both wish that, but it's not something we have. And so those are the things that definitely struggles for us. You know, moving forward, I think the struggle is going to be volunteering and how we're going to be able to, you know, how that's going to evolve, right? Because everything's going to evolve from this. It's just a matter of, of understanding, you know, where those, where all the boundaries are reset. And um, the one concern that we do have is, you know, when are they going to feel good about letting uh, students go back to alternative breaks again, right? I mean, in my personal opinion, and I hope I'm wrong, I really do. I hope it's not that when there's a vaccine, then we'll let, you know, students go back out again, because I think that would be a real travesty. But on the other hand, I certainly understand it. You know, I mean, the, the colleges have liability too. They can't just sink, you know, these students out, you know, blindly into a situation that, you know, uh, there may be potential risk. So, you know, that's going to be a big hit to us. And so how do we evolve from that? And, um, you know, those are all questions that don't have answers yet. Yeah. So you mentioned, I think it was CFCA. Um, what does that stand for? CTCA. CTCA. So yeah, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Okay, that's yeah. a, okay. Cancer Treatment Center. So, what are the different ways that you work with them and that you work with the community to actually provide the food to members of the community? So you mem- you mentioned Saturdays and people. I, right. I recall people come to the farm to purchase foods, but what other ways do you do that? So um, we've been until recently where you know we weren't able to go back to the hospital again. I think that was in I think they. Uh, kind of stop that in early February, uh, mid-February maybe, where we would do a Tuesday market every week. So we would bring food to the mar- to the hospital every week. And we started that, I want to say in 2000, maybe 13. So that program has been going on a long time. So we, uh, we also, uh, which is something that uh, I've actually loved tremendously is teaching about food awareness, nutrition. So I used to do it once a month there and it kind of got a little saturated because a lot of the patients were there beyond a month. And so we started doing a quarterly food awareness, nutrition uh, program that has, has been incredible because it really gives patients a perspective about something they may or may not have considered. And, and that is, you know, uh, where am I getting my nutrition from and what do I need to stay away from? And what do I need to kind of glean you know, go, go to. And it's also about a lifestyle change. Whatever got you to this point needs to change. You can't, uh, let's say that you go through chemo and you're cancer free. You can't go back to a lifestyle that got you into this mess of, you know, uh, buying a bunch of, you know, takeout or things that you, you know, are going to heat up in the microwave all the time, you know, um, eating in restaurants, you know, all the time. Those are the things that, you know, are, uh, you're lessening your, your, your chance of getting good nutrition by, by doing those things. And the best way to get nutrition is to cook at home and, um, and select the food that you're going to consume, you know, uh, meticulously, you know, but that takes work. And so we, we've been doing that for a long time. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, it's something that I think we're going to start picking up and doing on Zoom so that we can continue to do outreach uh, in this environment. Because certainly those are our most compromised people, just about, right? And so the last thing we want to do is expose any of the, of the patients to um, this virus. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're again, we're, we're trying to evolve with this. Uh, so this is a very interesting territory for us. 
Yeah, I agree. It's important that, and like I mentioned before, I think you guys are very capable of, of adapting because you guys are so used to doing so. Uh, what are some other ways that your farm does community outreach uh, specific specific to the Georgia community? So that's kind of evolved too. We used to do a, a uh, we had a CSA program for cancer patients. In other words, uh, we would donate a CSA, uh, which is community supported agriculture, which really doesn't do it just a subscription to the farm essentially for the season. So it would start in April um, and finish up somewhere in uh, November, December every year. And essentially what would happen is a cancer patient would be able to come in and get food every week and it will be enough for a week supply of, uh, you know, so it would cover all their, all their veggies for a week. And uh, we, we discovered through this program that the CSA program was not a very convenient uh, system for uh, cancer patients because there were many times where they would miss a month and not be able to pick up food, right? Because they're going through treatment. They just didn't feel good. They didn't want us to bring it to them. They didn't want to, have anybody pick it up. They just didn't have an appetite and they didn't want to waste the food, right? So we came up with this, uh, which that's kind of evolved to what we have now was the food pipe program, which rolls out this week. And the food pipe program is, uh, you know, a card which has, it's like a, a stamp card, which is uh, given our patients $20 a week of, of the farm food. So it goes for anything that the farm produces. So it's eggs, it can be grass-fed meat, it, but uh, more importantly, it's, you know, all your veggies and juices, whatever. And, um, you know, if they have to miss a week, it doesn't hurt them. And if they only spend $10, it rolls over to the next week. So they would have 30, right? And so we found that it's twofold. It's a convenience uh, for the for our cancer patients. Okay, so at this point, there was some technological errors and we could not hear Mr. Tyson. He could not hear us, obviously, but... We had to basically um, start over the conversation, and he could not really just finish his, his train of thought. Hey, guys. Sorry about that. I don't know what – I just dropped – the call dropped for some reason. No yeah. worries. No worries, yeah. So I think what we were talking about is uh, the food pipe program, and uh, you know that's, that's kind of how everything kind of uh, evolved with um, our, our community support. Um, but uh, – our, our focus is really trying to be um, laser focused on cancer patients. Um, and that's really where um, we try to, because there's such a big need for it. Um, and certainly we don't turn down anyone that they need food, but it's, it's really what we try to promote is, you know, the cancer patients in our community and helping them, especially the ones that are financially unable to make a lifestyle change they need to, to help fight this disease. Now, do you guys participate in any food assistance programs? Food assistance, you're talking about like the, the government programs, like the- uh, Yes, sir. Not, not yet, no. Um, we've, we've talked about, uh, Georgia's got one that uh, we, we're looking into, but um, and we may end up going down that road now because of uh, the economy and where we're going. Um, but up to this point, um, we just, because our focus was mainly on uh, cancer patients, you know, uh, we were worried that that would pull away from our mission. In other words, we'd have people who were in need of food that weren't sick that would pull away from the people who needed food that were financially unable. And it, you know, kind of puts us into a situation where we would have more people on our wait list that needed food who were really sick and uh, that we couldn't help. And so 
but we're 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 looking into that because we're really doing doing well with our food production this year so far and um you know it's something that uh as the economy continues to suffer you're seeing more and more people especially first-time people going into the food banks looking for food and that's a you know to me it's a tragedy just an absolute travesty you know we're always looking to how can we help mitigate this in some way? And we're not a huge farm, but, um, you know, there are, there are people in our community that are suffering and, you know, we would, we would certainly want to help if we could. Yeah. I think you guys play, you guys can play a huge role in the, in the community and helping people out with their specific, their current situation. Um, and so we thank you for that. And I, and I, I know they surely thank you for that as well, but how, how would you describe the current situation economically and maybe health-wise in Sharpsburg, Georgia, where you guys are located? I think that um, um, from an economic standpoint, uh, I think we're we're definitely seeing unemployment in Sharpsburg, in Sharpsburg but um, I don't know if it's uh, worth the national average yet. Um, I think we're below that right now. Um, so sorry, now, I phrase that correctly. I don't mean like I understand right now during this pandemic things might be you know unemployment might be a little higher in compared to, but I, I I'm speaking more of in as in like not considering the pandemic. Yeah. So so uh, prior to the pandemic, the uh, economy was fairly good. Um, you know, you saw a lot of people who would um, have been on unemployment. And, you know. Uh, I don't know, between when we had the financial collapse back in what, 2007, um, you know, all, a lot of the people that would have normally been uh, even harder to employ finding jobs. So I think the economy from that standpoint, I think you saw very, very low unemployment. I think you saw a lot of people work. And uh, I think what's happening now is um, I think there are, people are starting to return to work. There are a lot of people working from home, but I think the, the, the one question or the one thing that's concerning to me is, you know, this, this stimulus check that people got, that's just about run out of it in already. And you're starting to see people who are going to become a little more desperate for, they need money, they need food. And um, so we haven't seen that part of it yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. So what would you say also about the, the health um, situation in Sharpsburg, for example, like how would you say, are people living in a type of lifestyle that leads and that allows them to live a long time and live healthfully or are people that are living a life that, that might lead them towards a path of maybe a disease and, and sickness and just. You know, you're seeing where we're at, we're, we're kind of, we're in between two wealthier areas and in between kind of lower to middle class, right? So we're kind of sandwiched in between two wealthy communities. So I think, I think um, you know, the, the health of the community um, is such that I think when we first started the farm in 2009, people thought that organic was insane. Why would I pay more for organic when I can go to the grocery store and, you know, get something that's been conventionally raised or genetically modified? I mean, you know, none of that's a problem, right? I mean, it's no big deal. And I think, um, you know, through a lot of things, which, you know, some of it is from, from us being out in the community for a while. But I think also from a national perspective, you, you've seen such an increase in organic food. 
uh, that it's it's a mainstay in uh, even places like Kroger and Publix and so forth. I mean, they have huge organic sections now that uh, you're seeing some, uh, you know, benefit in the community from a health perspective, right? So there's more awareness. But that being said, there's still a lot of obesity, um, heart problems, cancer. Cancer is just a growing problem that just doesn't seem, it's, it's just not decreasing at all. I mean, you're talking about a, a rate that, you know, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be a two, two million cancer uh, diagnosis, two million new cancer diagnosis every year. I think we're at 1.8 right now, million people that are diagnosed every year with, with cancer. And that, that's just going to continue. continue. And from a local perspective, um, there are hotspots here and you can't figure those things out. You don't understand, you know, is it something in the water? Is it, you know, diet? And, you know, is it, is, you know, what is it? But, um, you know, cancer is certainly a problem. Uh, the, the big three, in my opinion, are going to be cancer, obesity, and heart disease in our area. Uh, we still have the problem of thinking that the, the big buffets or the places where you can get large amounts of food or the, you know, large quantities of meat are the way to go, you know, when you go out to eat. And, you know, that mindset is going to, you know, get you sick over time. We haven't shaken that yet. There's a ton of fast food places around our area that do very well. So uh, you know that people are frequent and frequenting them very often. And so, you know, there are still challenges. Uh, the hospitals are not suffering at all from a financial perspective, I would imagine. So before you were mentioning um, how you do like nutrition classes, and I'm curious, so I'm curious about the nutrition classes. Um, so. Is it nutritionists in the area that kind of give these classes that you like bring into the hospital or what's, what's that dynamic like? That dynamic is me without a nutrition, uh, nutritional degree. Um, I'm, I'm teaching about what we did. And so we talk about um, the food system. Well, first off, we talk about Mason's story. Okay. Cause none of this would have happened without Mason's story. And we have to have a, 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 um, a bridging point with the people who are coming to learn from us. And then we talk about what we did. I'm, I'm very clear about the fact that I'm not a doctor. I don't have a degree in nutrition, but I can tell you what, what our family did to fight this. And then we talk about the food awareness part. Okay. So when you go out to get a hamburger at the fast food place, where does that burger come from? And so we kind of go into what the, our meat situation, our egg situation, you know, where all these things come from, because there's a reality check that needs to happen. Most people want to, you know, eat, eat food blindly. They don't want to know. And the problem, that's partly our biggest problem. Once you understand where our food comes from, that image doesn't just leave you. It makes you second guess every time you want to go get a very cheap burger somewhere or a cheap piece of uh, chicken nugget, you know, whatever. Um, where did that come from and the conditions and, you know, all the toxins absorbed, the food was fed, that what am I benefiting from this? And, um, you know, it's very eye-opening. We try to keep it very real. It's not something that I sugarcoat at all because, um, you know, sugarcoating time is over. You know, we've got to be very real with people and let them understand that, you know, you wouldn't be here unless you felt like you needed to change something, right? So we're going to give you the reasons. And, um, you know, when, when I talk about nutrition, I talk about what we discovered, because I am a researcher. Um, I've been research and development with a food company and 
Yeah, I've done a lot of things over the years with food. So certainly not anywhere near a nutritionist, but um, I feel like I am, certainly, even though uh, I'll be the first one to tell you that there's probably a lot that I can still learn. Yeah, but I, when it comes to my family, I've seen what works. And um, in sharing that, our, our message is, one, to give awareness, but also give hope. You have a lot of people who come to, our, our, uh, to my class who are very desperate. They're desperate for change. They're desperate uh, to live. They're desperate to not see their spouse die from this disease or their child die from this disease. And they want to know what we did, you know, how, what changes. And this is not a cookie cutter thing where, uh, and we explain that, um, that, you know, what we did is not going to necessarily always work for everybody else. But I can tell you this for sure, without a doubt, you cannot fight cancer without nutrition, no matter if you're going through chemo or not. You can't do it. You have to have, you have to arm your body with, with health. And, and uh, part of that way to do that is through nutrient-dense foods, which you cannot get from a hamburger that has been sterilized and the bread has been sterilized and mold won't even grow on it and bacteria won't grow on it. And what is your body going to do with that, right? So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to show this new paradigm or our lifestyle change that, that can happen and can help. Um, but there are other factors in everybody's life that, you know, have to happen too. And some people need absolutely have to have chemotherapy. Their cancer is aggressive. There's no other way around it. But even with the chemo, you need, your body has to be able to heal from that. I mean, that is, that's a lot of toxins going to your body. And if you are not filling your body with nutrition, the cancer will come back. So, I mean, just look at the statistics. Statistics don't lie. And uh, so that's, that's kind of what we teach in our class is really uh, mainly about what we did, about food awareness and about hope. Because you have to have hope when you're fighting this disease or, or the battle's already, already lost. Yeah, and I was very fortunate to be able to join you. I don't know if you remember when I joined you to go to visit the high school where you provided the the lesson to that class on, on nutrition and kind of planting that seed on how on eating healthy and how a large portion of your plate should have a lot more color and really understanding where your food comes from, but also that initially investing in your health, even if it, come, it comes at a high cost can save from a financial point of view, can save you money in the future. So if you put a low investment in the beginning, you're gonna have to invest a lot more in the future. If that, if that relates to maybe disease, and things of that sort, but if you invest a lot earlier, you're gonna live a healthy life. But I'd also love to ask, how scalable is a 180 degree farm? You know, so if I was somebody that wanted to create something like you have, like you and your family have? Well, the, uh, well, first off, just going back on what you were saying earlier, there's an old saying that um, is absolutely true in a lot of ways. It's you can pay the farmer now or pay the doctor later, right? So. That's always resonated with me. And I think that uh, I don't remember the first time I heard it, but it was probably right after Mason got sick. And I thought, you know, uh, trying to understand exactly what, what that means, you know, and, and you can take it a lot of different ways. But um, what, I understand, what I understand about it now is, you know, the direct connection to a farmer, which uh, the relationship to a farmer, which uh, in my opinion is priceless. That's the person who's growing your food. Now, it's much harder to do that when you're shopping at the grocery stores and getting your head of broccoli there versus, you know, eating seasonally and, and getting what 
your local community can produce. And I think if there's one positive thing that's going to come out of this, uh, this coronavirus pandemic is that we're seeing a lot more people uh, that are new coming into the fold uh, looking for local, uh, local organic produce now than we've ever seen. I mean, it's incredible. And so that is driving people to want, you know, produce that has not been handled by, you know, you know, tens to hundreds of people, right? I mean, if you think about the, all the people who touch that food and then he gets to the grocery store and gets touched and picked over and so forth. I mean, it's, it's just tremendous. It's also, you know, I think it's also having a, an effect on the mindset of what people are eating too, because they're worried about getting this virus and they understand that if they have a weak immune system, that they're more, they're more prone to getting sick, like getting real sick, right? So that's twofold. Um, so from a scalability standpoint, from 180 degree farm, um, it can be done, but you know, you're, you would have a lot of considerations in the front part of that, right? I mean, like I was talking about before, I mean, the, the land is the, you know, the biggest, the biggest uh, uh, start of this, right? Site selection, picking out something that um, is not going to take as much money as uh, it took us, you know, initially to, to do. Uh, we used a lot of our savings to, to invest in the land, and it was crazy. Um, you know, if I were looking at this, you know, moving forward, I would probably have picked another piece of land that was more suited to agriculture than the one that I had that was had been ag agriculture for a long time, but had just been eroded away, and there was nothing left but a hard clay shell that was barely anything grew on. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a tribute to what you can do when you are determined. Um, but it's also a young man's game, right? I mean, there's no way my wife and I would go into this uh, at our age and say, oh, okay, we can do this. I think it would be much more challenging. So site selection is, is first and foremost. And your location, you know, are, are you located in an area where it's not too far for people to drive that need help that can get help from you, right? If you're out in the boonies somewhere, then you have to, you know, somehow figure out how you're going to get food to those who need it. You're also going to have to figure out how to get people to come and shop with you so that you can continue to earn revenue to help people who need it. So, um, you know, none of those things are insurmountable. I mean, they're, they're really easy uh, if you were determined to figure out. They're, they're things that can easily be done. But you have to have, um, it's a commitment, and you have to be focused on what's going to make you successful, and what is your measure of success, how many people you help, and, and if you can keep your nonprofit uh, above water. You know, if you can keep your, your nonprofit floating and, and be able to turn those profits into helping people, and you're, you're going to be in really good shape, and, you know, you're going to be very respected in the community. People are going to, you know, um, really lean on you to be, you know, their, their health connection. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was a great answer. And I, I do want to respect your time. We've, um, we've been going around here for like 50 or so minutes. Um, so we're, I'm just going to ask two more questions to finish out, and they're going to be more, um, more general questions. Um, so if there was one aspect of the healthcare system that you think that you could change, if you had, if you had, had the freedom to do anything you'd like, one aspect that you could change, what would that be? One aspect. Well, I think that Obamacare, um, you know, we thought that was going to be great. And it was, a, it was ended up being a big flop. And I think the, the aspect of healthcare is 
you know, it's, it, it's challenging because somebody has got to pay for it. Right. I mean, the whole notion of healthcare being free is not, not really, uh, uh, it's not sustainable because, uh, it has to come from taxes or somewhere. Right. But, uh, if somehow we could, you know, make more of these, um, I, I like the direction that, the this pandemic has created and that there's more doctor visits that can happen virtually. And I think that with the technology that we have today, where even lower income people have can do FaceTime or, or, you know, things like what we're doing now. Right. Um, I think that's going to get more people um, seen by doctors and, and, and maybe even, uh, something where, uh, you know, this technology would be a lot more efficient and cheaper to get people um, the care that they need. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything will ha- be done virtually and there won't be an actual doctor's visit, but it could, it could be the lead into that as opposed to going and getting checked out. And all you have is something minor that can be treated with a $10 phone call or, or you know, your insurance covers it 100% because it's just a virtual phone call. And I think that would be, you know, I think it would be a great step in, in the right direction as far as getting more people seen. And, um, you know, from a virtual standpoint, I, I would love to see that. I think, I think we're already heading in that direction. I think the pandemic's created, um, created a, um, uh, this necessity. Um, but I think we could expand on that. Thank you so much for sharing sharing that with us. And uh, sorry for our last question. It's what kind of message do you want to give students aspiring to become health professionals? You know, that's a that's a great question. I, I would I would say that certainly the encouragement to to really have relationships with beyond the community with with farmers. I think the I think the two go hand in hand, and I think that there is so much more that uh, potential that hasn't been tapped into with nutritionists, uh, with doctors, uh, and, and food, right? So there's, there's these, this like circle, right? I mean, most illnesses, let's say all of them for sure, but for some, in some way or form, shape or form relate back to food, right? Whether it be simple things like, you know, diagnosing scurvy or rickets all the way up to cancer or heart disease, right? I mean, they are food related diseases. And so having relationships with the farmers and the, and the nutritionists and, and, the, and the doctors and, the, and then the, the patients, I think, I mean, those are, those are critical things. So when you're, you're going through this, it's funny, we, we have people from the University of Florida, especially, we have a lot of nutritionists or people that are going to some form of health care from your school. And, um, you know, I, I think I've shared this with several people. It's like, you know, we, we know several nutritionists and being able to, um, for them to be able to prescribe food. I mean, it's, it's powerful. And it's, it's, you know, um, I think you're seeing more, um, um, interest in that now than you ever have, but, uh, you know, we're still not there yet. And I think, um, the more a relationship that doctors and healthcare professionals, nutritionists have with where the food is actually being grown and, uh, is going to, push them to, to, to ask more questions around, you know, the history of this patient, you know, what got them in this situation and be able to prescribe things because they'll understand it better. Right. I mean, we have a couple of nutritionists that we know that, um, Hey, you need to start uh, juicing turmeric, you know, instead of taking Advil every day, you need to start, you know, doing this or, 
taking, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, eating this type of meal plan as opposed to that, and you'll start seeing these symptoms be relieved, right? All of these um, um, relationships are so critical, I think, and, and the ones that aren't doing are missing out because I think it's a, another way to be able to really have a huge influence on the future of disease with, with minimal drug impact. I mean, the drugs are going to be a necessity that we're all going to have to live with, and it's unfortunate that, that there are so many side effects. However, um, you know, food can help a lot, and diet certainly, lifestyle change can certainly help a lot. And so that's that the, the relationship with the, the the farmer and the nutritionist and the doctor. I think you know that is just something that in the future is is going to have to happen for us to have a uh, a healthier community. And again, like I said before, statistics don't lie, right? I mean, you just look at all the statistics. And if we had all these people prescribing more, you know, plant, or I'd say plant-based, but heavy veggie diet-based diets, um, organic, build relationships with farmers, um, understanding where their food comes from, um, and the, health, the, the statistics on health, I think, are going to have a rapid decline over time. Oh, I, I, I love that answer because we've, we've only had three um, actual conversations, three podcasts with other people. And so you're our third and, and the reoccurring theme is always, you know, is, is, is always going to be relationships. You know, relationships are everything. Relationships that you, that you have within your community really impacts the work that you do. Um, relationships that I have, say, with farmers or my patients really impacts the work that I would do as, as a healthcare professional. So I really love that answer. Mr. Tyson, thank you so much for your time. It was yeah, a pleasure as always. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think very highly of you, Anthony, and, you know, I just think very highly of the school and uh, what you guys, uh, the, the students that, that have uh, graced our lives over the years. I mean, we've just had such valued relationships with you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm very honored that, uh, you know, to be able to, to help and, and to, uh, you know, be a part of this podcast. I think, you know, anything that you can do to uh, further uh, the awareness of nutrition and, and so forth is going to be a good thing. It's never going to hurt. And, um, you know, like I said, it's worth it if it only if it only impacts one person, it's worth it, right? But hopefully, and I pray this will impact many. So I really appreciate you and all that you're doing. I love the, the concept that you both are, are involved with this podcast. I think it's great. And, uh, you know, just great interview. Great, great questions, guys. Great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. Tyson. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was um, our second episode of our first season of Food Insecurity. Uh, Mr. Tyson had a lot of great things to say about his farm and the, and the work his family does and the community outreach programs that they offer. So stay tuned for more and thank you for listening.